It's Thursday, the 1st of December 2016. I am Robin Yellow and this is Tectasm, episode 38. Bye bye, Baidu. And with me again because nobody else is as blingy is Mr. James Woodall. Blingy, interesting. I like it. Yeah. It sounds like. Dripping bit... with gold. Yeah, it sounds like you're a bit under the weather. A little bit, yes. Had some man flu at the weekend, but I'm over it now, he said. (coughs) Cough, cough. (laughs) Well, this week, James, we're going to be taking a look at BMW and Baidu parting ways, BT and OpenReach parting ways, and Apple and Airport parting ways. And we'll be judging these stories and a couple of others to tell you if they are a tectasm, which is a blend of tech for technology and tasm for phantasm, something that exists only in a person's mind. So without further spluttering let's get on with the show BMW and Baidu have ended their two-year self-driving partnership citing irreconcilable differences between the two companies according to Reed Wright now Baidu have said that they will start to look for a new automaker to take over BMW's role as manufacturer for its self-driving system and for now it will use Ford's Lincoln cars in the United States and BYD Cherry and BAIC in China. Interesting there James that it is Baidu that have the relationship with BMW to do something for them rather than the other other way around. Quite quite funny to hear it that way around, isn't it? Well yeah, this is true. Uh, interestingly enough though, isn't Google the same? Um I appreciate that Baidu and Google are pretty much the same company just well yeah, different sides of the world, but well, they do. The, well, they're called Baidu, the search giant, are known as the Google of China by some, and they have, of course, like uh, Google, been expanding their portfolio into emerging technologies like artificial intelligence, self-driving cars, and uh, while they haven't got a gl- the global reach that Google have, there, there are a lot of similarities. Okay, interesting. Well, um, I. Uh... I wonder what these irreconcilable differences are. It's quite rare that you see this in the news, that two companies um, kind of acrimoniously divorce. Well, BMW have been partnering with Baidu since 2014, uh, but they did reveal the iNext concept car, self-driving car, which they hope will be available by 2021. But it's also partnered with Intel and Mobileye, Mobileye, the Israeli... Um, camera navigation system. Didn't they just part ways with Tesla? They did. Yes, that's right. Tesla decided that uh, the self-driving system was so important to them that they would do it themselves without the help of Mobileye. Uh, But BMW obviously still with Mobileye. Mobileye actually are embedded with a lot of auto manufacturers to do these kind of collision avoidance, you know, lane keeping systems. So they're in all sorts of platforms, not only BMW. I just wonder whether this relationship with Intel is the thing that's upset the Apple card. Hmm. So I wonder who got upset with who then? Um, well, who knows? Although it, does it doesn't say, actually but, say, it does, does it? It does say paragraph two, Baidu said it will start looking for a new automaker. So it maybe did. maybe they were the ones who threw the toys out the pram. But this leaves Baidu with a bit of a, in a bit of a bind, actually, because um, maybe I, I, I think what they're suggesting here in this article is that they will still continue to have a relationship with BMW, perhaps for the infotainment system uh, in the Chinese market, which is, of course, a, a big market for BMW. Yeah, well, I suppose they have to, really, because infotainment systems are getting so complicated now that the automakers generally are shying away from them. 
Well, I think with these self-driving cars, you're seeing a lot of these companies jumping in and out of bed with each other uh, as they they seem they they seek to create the best relationship that will deliver the best result. And by you know BMW, you just want to be able to sell a good self-driving car, and Baidu and Google and other companies just want to sell a ride-sharing service or an automated service. So everybody's chasing the same goal. But it's interesting that the or, traditional automakers' grip on the transportation market is under some severe threat from these. Uh, upstarts. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I wonder what um, uh, I wonder what BMW are going to do now because you know, I mean, they've. Uh, well, I mean, what did they use Baidu for that they now need to replace? Or, or well, it was the self-driving self-driving system. So that's why I'm saying they mention Intel here in the article, and I my understanding is that Intel are putting a lot of money into self-driving um, systems. Hmm. And they've just signed a deal with Delphi, actually, uh, to supply compute power or in-car systems to power their their self-driving algorithms. Everybody's getting into it. Everybody wants to own this space, not only in terms of providing the software and algorithms for for self-driving cars, which I think are pretty well self-evident, not not only from the recently, or that we talked about Tesla's I don't know whether we did actually talk about Tesla's self-driving system last week, but, but certainly Tesla showing off a lot of stuff in their high-end Model X. Um, but, but you know, they also, in the same way that Microsoft, for example, provide an operating system for, for manufacturers to put an operating system into their laptop hardware, uh, a lot of companies are vying for a place to create a self-driving car system that manufacturers put into their cars. But, of course, the manufacturers will want a piece of the action as well. Uh, so maybe BMW wants to create, you know, perhaps in partnership with Intel, its own self-driving system, which is better than everybody else's. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, I mean, look, is I there think, a tech tasm here, James? I don't, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if that's what they're going to be doing, then that's the same as Tesla. So makes sense, I suppose. Well, yep. So no tech tasm. Just a wait and see. Okay. Well, moving on to BT, Jane Wakefield in the BBC, and I must point out. A named journalist inside the BBC. That is a rare treat. We should have a kind of a horn for that or something, like a sound. Maybe we should work on that for next week. Um, <laughs> she writes about how BT um, are going through a divorce with themselves. Um, BT being the uh, the big telecoms, I guess, giant here in the UK, um, has several arms, and it's everything from the technology that powers the communications to being a supplier to consumers in homes and businesses. And what's effectively happening is the infrastructure section of BT, which is the cabling and all the kind of back-end signaling, is being split off from their more consumer-facing arm. And the reason that they're doing this, and I don't think they're doing this out of choice, I think they've been told to do it, is because... Other broadband providers in the UK generally are forced to use BT uh, for their back-end services. And they're forced to use OpenReach. Yeah, they're forced to use BT OpenReach, yes. Yes. Um, and uh, they're complaining that OpenReach is just too slow. Um, and, uh, you know, other companies that have their own network, which is pretty much only Virgin, are storming ahead with their internet. I mean, I've got a friend who proudly tells me that he gets 200 megabits from his Virgin connection. I get 30. And I pay for 100. So, yes. you know, it's terrible. Well, 
yeah, I mean, let's not have the debate about why everyone needs 100 megabits um, rather than things that are important to me, which are service reliability and low latency. But put it setting that to one side, this is an intervention by a regulatory body to force a, a monopoly to split up for the benefit of mankind or for the benefit of Britain, right? Have I got that right? Yes. Okay. So therefore, provided you believe in the principle that sometimes governments need and regulatory bodies need to intervene in what's happening uh, in our country to make things better, if you believe that philosophy, then this looks like a good thing. Uh, and certainly what they're suggesting here, presumably, is that OpenReach will be motivated or freed up, perhaps to get money from the markets or uh, to, to improve their service to all their customers, including BT. I mean, they have said in the past that just because OpenReach carries the BT banner, it in fact, is disconnected from the consumer side of things. But, I mean... Clearly, Ofcom, the regulatory body, didn't believe that. And yeah, I think this is good because there are plenty of big names in the UK broadband market, all of which have now got equal clout with BT, um, whatever their consumer name is. What, what is it? Just BT. Um, Just to, BT. To better yeah. force open reach to do something decent. I mean, one thing that they discuss quite a lot in this article is fibre to the home. The UK now has a lot of fibre to the cabinet. But the so-called last mile, which is from the exchange at the end of your road generally in your house, is still 1960s copper. Mm. So, you know, what a lot, what a lot of uh, countries now are doing is fibre straight to your home, which of course means that you can get, in theory, several gigabits a second. Um, yes. Or a better service and, um, and decent um, pings. And, and but at an incredible cost. I mean, it took us long enough to get fibre to the cabinet, didn't it? Um, but having to dig up the road or, you know, and I know that in, in America, uh, there's especially looking at millimeter wave and some of these kind of high, high intensity directed radio beams where they deliver from a mast in a neighborhood to, you know, direct line of sight to something attached, you know, stuck behind your window. Uh, it's all about the cost of delivering that last mile, which is expensive. And to put fibre from every cabinet through to every house would take 100 years, wouldn't it? But Cost what they should do, though, and my wife and I live in a new build, they should have put fibre in as they built the property. Yes, that's what they do in uh, Korea and Taiwan, isn't it? And Vietnam as well, where they actually, it's part of the building code. So if you don't do it, you have to pay money. Uh, so you're you're required to basically cable up the whole building. I mean, it's completely ridiculous, and I I question why Virgin didn't cable up the road, because they certainly would have had happy customers here. And instead, we pay for a hundred, we get thirty. I mean, it's it's pretty poor. So if that if this helps with that, and that's great. I mean, the other aspect to this story though is the rural customers. I mean, the UK, um, a massive percentage of people in the UK live in towns and cities, but there are people who live out um, in rural areas that cannot get access to decent broadband or even broadband at all. Um, and, uh, you know, they feel like they're um, culturally at a disadvantage um, and effectively they're being discriminated against because, like it or not, broadband is now part of, you know, our life. It's a big deal. Yes. Yes. Is it a basic human right? I suppose the open reach organization, which very much like Centrica would be responsible for the delivery of 
you know, the cables and the infrastructure uh, could be controlled or funded or subsidised through either tax breaks or grants by the government to provide that rural access without necessarily that money disappearing into the big pot that is BT, which is about end user services. Um, anyway, it's a done deal, isn't it? So I'm not, I don't think there's a, a, a tectasm there is here, is no there? no tectasm here. Let's move on. Well, in Reuters this week, four, they reported that four of the world's top car makers have agreed to invest in thousands of fast-charging sites across Europe to boost mainstream acceptance of electric cars, the company said on Tuesday. Now, German rivals Volkswagen, Daimler, Mercedes, BMW and the Ford Motor Company's European division have entered into a joint venture to develop 400 charging stations. Now, this, James, of course, is to overcome range anxiety, <laughs> which we've talked about before. Um, and they say that after reaching an initial goal of 400 sites along major highways in Europe, the group aims to have thousands of high-power high char- uh, charging points on the continent by 2020. Is there a standard uh, for this? Well, there is. It's called the CCS device. It's like a double device. It's got the regular seven-pin charger on the top, and then connected on the bottom is a two-pin DC high-speed charger. Um which gives you the, the fast speed. So, yes, there is for all European manufactured cars. That doesn't mean that older cars... So, so for example, my Japanese-designed Nissan Leaf uh, has got the five-pin charger and a Chardemo DC high-power charger on it, so it's got a completely incompatible connector uh, for that. But most cars sold now follow the CCS, the European oh, Okay, but so that, that brings on a question... Um, Japanese cars are made in the UK. Um, I think it's Nissan up in Sunderland, for example. Yes. Do they follow the European standard or do they no. follow the Japanese standard? The Japanese standard. Of course they do. So, of course they do. So there's always going to be that inconsistency. But then let's not sweat that detail too much because most electric car driving is charged at home. All right, you've got a daily routine or just local travel you charge at home. This is only for people that, in, that, that move, for example, I think, to an electric car only um, for their family so that they, they need to take their car on a long drive in the summer to go down, you know, the, the autobahn in Germany and the, and the auto route in France to the south coast. So, so I think that, you know, this will appeal to a small number of people. They say that they're aiming to overcome range anxiety, the fear of running out of power before reaching your uh, charging station, which they believe is a widespread spread blocker uh, to consumer acceptance of electric vehicles, uh, and I understand that. So, so here's so one way of looking at this, James, is to say this is a stunt to get people who haven't bought electric cars to buy electric cars. Fine, quite an expensive stunt to pull off, uh, because this has very little appeal to me as an electric car owner. I know that I very rarely use these charging systems. I just don't drive anywhere where I need it. Okay, so I and have if a question. I do, I take you, a petrol car. Um, you're, you, you've got a Golf, is it a GTE? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Plug-in hybrid. Yes. Have you, and of course it's got a petrol engine, have you yeah. ever used a charging station with it? No. Okay. No, all done at home to give you that first 30 miles. But even though, I mean, you you, you know, we, we met up last week and you had a bit of a journey there, you still didn't want to use it. 
Because obviously no. you would have stopped off at a service station for a cheeky coffee. Yeah, true. But so, for example, if you fill up, if sorry, say so if you fill up, if you use the only charging stations that are available on the motorway um, are from Ecotricity, and they charge six pounds for twenty minutes. Okay, and what does, and what does twenty minutes get you in terms? Of, oh, so that's, but it's not really worth it, then, is it? I mean, no, at twenty minutes for six pounds. On DC fast charge could give you 70 miles. But for the slow charge, which is what I have on the Golf, it would hardly give you anything. 20 minutes would give you 10 miles. No, it gives you about five miles. Okay. You just couldn't get the power in because the car isn't designed to accept fast charge. So therefore, you know, and the guy that runs Ecotricity, I forget his name, unfortunately, I should know it, uh, was saying the, the fast charging network is for pure electric cars. It's not for plug-in hybrids. Okay. Okay. No tectasm here. Uh, sorry, uh, there is a massive tectasm here, um, which is, is this really designed to get overcome range anxiety, blah, blah, blah? Or is it a big stunt to sell more electric cars? Oh, isn't that the same thing? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Okay, well, look, before we, we descend into madness on deciding whether it is or is not, <laughs> let's talk about how Apple have divorced themselves, hey, there's a theme here, from their airport business, airport being their routers. So, um, you know, Apple, of course, famous for laptops, PCs, iPhones, like tablets, but they do have a line of stylish um, routers. Um, available at $99, $199, dollars and $299. And they call them the airport. Have uh, you got one? I have two. Are they any good? Um, well, supposedly the one that we've got has a, um, an AC uh, aerial which uses beam forming to target you where you are to give you better signal. And right. there aren't many devices that support AC, though, so... Um, I don't know. It's, it's so you have got one. So you don't use the routers that come with your broadband at home. No, um, because at the layout of our house is a bit tricky. You know, as in most houses, the BT port is in the corner of the house. Therefore, the other corner of the house doesn't get a decent signal. So we use the airport because they're very good at linking to each other to create a, a you know, a building-wide Wi-Fi signal. Oh, okay. So they're quite they're quite good at that because when they detect that another one's on the network, they share the SSID and password, and everyone's a winner. So, uh, what? So are they 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 Wi-Fi signal boosters then? No, no, no. We we've got an Ethernet from one side of the house to the other, and then yeah. there's two airports on either side of that, and they basically talk to each other. Oh, so, right. um, but so but we've got one of the small airports which has a nice little feature. It's got a speaker out, so from your Apple device you can send audio to the, um, they call it an airport express. So it doubles up as a wireless kind of speaker type audio oh, okay. device, which is interesting. What's Certainly an airport not... extreme? Yeah, so the airport extreme is the big one. The airport express is the small one. What's an airport time capsule? Uh, that contains a backup drive. So if you've got Max on the network, it's like an automatic external backup. Got it. Well, they're all gone now. 
Yeah, which is it's a bit of a shame because they're actually very nice to set up. Routers for a very long time were terrible with a setup experience, and these Apple ones were actually pretty nice. Well, interesting. The being, time they're pulling out of the market, James, Google, of course, are moving into it with their announcement in uh, whenever it was, October, November. Uh, was it October, November the Pixel was announced? Well, anyway, they announced a, the, a Wi-Fi access point which did exactly what you've just described. Yeah, so I don't really know what Apple are doing, to be honest, because it's not a bad piece of kit. I mean, and this is just a rumor, of course, because everything Apple does is a rumor until they officially announce it. I mean, if you remember, the Apple TV was deemed dead until all of a sudden they brought out the revamp. But, um, yeah, it's not looking good, is it? I mean, I guess the idea being Apple just want to focus on their core products, which, of course, is iPhone and iPad. They have rumored to hit peak iPad and iPhone so maybe they want to double down on that and uh, keep milk in that particular They must have hit peak iPhone and iPad I mean iPad sales are going down and I mean unless you buy a second one they must have hit peak iPhone the Chinese market is not growing for them anymore Interesting they're pulling why are they pulling out of this business okay What is their business model? What is going on here? I don't understand. Why, when their successful model of combining hardware and software together to deliver a seamless, smooth, sexy experience for people with too much money, um, why why would they pull out of a market like this when everyone else is copying them? It, it, I don't know. It does seem a little bit strange. They, I think the problem, because they don't talk about anything, no one really knows what's going on. You know, other companies like Google and Microsoft, to more of an extent, will gladly talk about what's going on. Apple, because they're so locked down, everyone's just left guessing. You know, there have been rumors that the Apple Watch hasn't done particularly well um, and doesn't have as good a, um, a, a outside opinion as, say, these routers. So why, why are they focusing on the watch? You know... Which surely would cost more to uh, to develop than uh, than the routers, especially considering the routers themselves are doing pretty well and don't need upgrading that much. And it was at this point that we had a technical failure in the recording of your favourite podcast. So unfortunately, you won't get to hear the end of that story, uh, for which I am very apologetic. Uh, this was a tectasm. Well, that's it for this week's Sorry Show. You can send post your complaints at facebook.com slash techtasm. Send us a snotty email at feedback at techtasm.com. And why don't you dial in next week to complain? We record at 2100 BST GMT on either Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, or possibly Mondays or, or sometimes Fridays. This is me, plain old Robin Yellow. I've had my knighthood stripped from me. Me, James, the disappointed Woodall asking the question mostly is it real or is it just a tech test